Death Sentence. Uh, we have Brendan Joyce, the poet, the literally the second poet to ever be on the show. He's with us today because his new one, uh, Unemployment Insurance, is coming out soon. And since I am now a claimant of Unemployment Insurance, or Universal Credit as they call it in my country, um, I thought I'd you know, get him on to see what see what I'm in for. Um, so it's, been, it's been a little while since I've last been I claimed unemployment insurance. I want to get back in the game. I need an expert. So since he's written a book about it, uh, he's going to talk me through the the, um, the history and uh, the, the intricacies of the um, United States' unemployment system. Oh, wait, this is poetry. Shit. Okay, we're not going to learn anything. <laughs> right. Um, but before we start, we, you know, sad news. Black armbands on. Um, friend of the podcast, friend of us all, Comrade King Jong-un may or may not be dead, according to a South Korean uh, email chain that has been picked up by the U.S. State Department and disseminated around the world. Um, you know, we, we're not a podcast that reports on the deaths of uh, major political figures without verification. Um, that's why we know that uh, Joe Biden is dead, despite all evidence to the contrary. But uh, yeah, Kim, wherever, well, no, Kim's his last name, uh, Jong. Yeah, we, we fit, we're we're out here. We got you in our hearts. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure what you do or like what your whole deal is. I know you're famous. Um, I think that movie, the interview, was about you. Uh, um, didn't see that i saw it like, like like over someone's like shoulders on a plane but um i'm sure you're a chill guy so um yeah just got so much love in my heart for you right now um yeah just kim jong-un feeling it just vibing and um anything else in the, in the news anyone like can we just do a little like check on how everyone's doing um Langdon, how are things going? Uh, minute by minute, my mood uh, oscillates wildly between uh, manic euphoria and depressive despair. Okay, yeah. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm gaming too. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, and, yeah, Brendan, um, how, how, where are you in the world and how are, how are things there? I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, okay. Mentally, I'm also in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, oh, unfortunate. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's bizarre, man. I, I mean, today's day 43 for me uh, in quarantine, wow. on layoff, and um, stressed as all hell about this book. It's about to come out next Friday, May first, mm -hmm. and I'm just trying to, you know, keep going. <laughs> Have they had those dumb protests in your in Cleve, in Cleveland yet? Uh, they've definitely had them in the state capital, Columbus, uh, which is appropriately named uh, because it's a white supremacist stronghold. Oh, yeah, um, I I, yeah uh, they've already been able to trace uh, coronavirus transmission to those protests. Um, yep. so it appears those people will get sick soon. Um, mm -hmm. 
they haven't already. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Coke money runs strong. Um, they mm-hmm. have infinite capacity to run protests like that as long as there's a ruling class, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think people forget, like, the, the Tea Party was a astroturfed protest movement, and that probably wasn't supposed to go very far, but then, you know... Then it, it did. Yeah, then it's the last uh, 10 years of politics in America, including just, Donald Trump. It just keeps going. It's like we're... Uh, I'd make some pithy joke about how we're cursed with, like, a, a stupid planet and whatever... But it it's it sucks so fucking much. It, it's it's insanely bad, and I hate it. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. You can't really do like a um, like an anime or gaming reference to how much it sucks. It's just really bad. You can't really say, yeah. "Wow, it's just keeping going," and it sucks. Like the later episodes of Bleach. Am I right, guys? Oh, <laughs> Yeah. See, if we were if we were a radio show, I would be mashing my hand all over the sound board <laughs> at this point. We should get one of those. We should. We we should get one of those and not tell a guest that we're going to be editing it in and replace all of their uh, anytime they speak with a foghorn <laughs> like from a lighthouse. Just oh, <laughs> the, like, the oh, that's Charlie nice. Brown Wawa noise. <laughs> I was thinking more mournful, like a distant lighthouse. Oh, okay. Got it. And we'd be like, oh, that's an excellent point. Yeah. I, I, I also have been getting back into vaporwave. It feels like the right time. <laughs> <laughs> toilet flushing is a, is a classic. Can't go that wrong with a good classic. flushing toilet. Yeah. Um, uh, although people have uh, been refraining from doing that uh, in light of water bill lately. They've been refraining from flushing them? the toilet or from using the toilet? Uh, flushing it. Because you don't have to flush it if you're not using it. I'm not right. sure if they well, know that. No, I think they're aware. Uh, <laughs> but, a lot, but this is a real big thing right now. Is that Cut down the water bill. Uh, people have not been flushing the toilet. And then when you flush the toilet, their pipes burst. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, that is cool, Gareth. It, <laughs> it is, it is cool. cool. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's just it's just depression era yeah. strategies for trying to get around the insane costs of just being a person who's alive. Yeah. Let's get on that pa- Patreon uh, subscribers. Sorry, was that too real? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's perfectly amount of real. You guys still there? Oh yeah, we're here. We're here. Um. But um, and can we talk about locusts for a second? Because um, while all this has been happening, there have been really bad locust plagues across Africa and now the Middle East, and those that, are going to affect the food supply. That feels um now again not religious. Feels biblical though. Feels biblical. Yeah, I'm I, like I don't know how there. else to to. To process like, oh, it's, so there's a global plague, and now also locusts are back, and may, mm, mm. Mm, yeah, because mm. like <laughs> when the food goes, then things are really, really bad. Just like, well, when the food goes, the next thing is that the people go. Yeah. Us being the people. Because mm. yeah, I'm not strong in the upper body, and no, yeah, I'm, I'm. <laughs> 
not one of the people who's going to be surviving any sort of cannibalism type scenario. Yeah, we're yeah. doomed once this comes through. Yeah, but, I mean, even without the locusts, we've got. Did you see yesterday sixty one thousand chickens? Denies. Oh yeah, yeah. In, in addition to plummeted. yeah, and the I think it was like it was something like insane. Like I think it was like a three quarters of a billion tons of potatoes. I don't think the town I grew up in weighs a hundred, uh, three quarters of a billion tons. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't the, know if Manchester weighs that. <laughs> uh, I mean, the magnitude of, of this full destruction that's going on in the food system right now, the demand crunch, while, you know, food banks are running out of food, hmm. is yeah. uh, truly capitalist. Yeah. yeah. I don't have any other rubric for understanding uh, the like mass global trauma, like jokes aside, other than like, and I find this, I find this frustrating having a, um, having a mom who is, is older and seems to uh, only fall like deeper into like, not like the, the stereotype of the American, like uh, elderly who like get, deeper and deeper into Fox news and eventually you know, engage in like conservative fascist psychosis. Um, but definitely is becoming more of the like CNN, MSNBC liberal type. Um, but because of that, I can point at this and be like, you can look like outside your window and watch capitalism fucking people. It's not hypothetical anymore. I mean, it wasn't hypothetical before, but there were a lot of efforts to obscure it because it's harder to, tell people no the, the the commies are wrong the anarchists are wrong if it's right outside your window and you can just point at it um yeah. so they would do a lot of effort to try to obscure things and now that effort's totally gone because they can't do it and yet still having people not it not processing with people and that being that's been inordinately frustrating to me because it's like as a leftist what else can we do other than try to you know build awareness and build numbers but then what do you do when people can stare something like that in the face and be like well it's a business decision they they had to throw away all those potatoes and it's like there's so many starving people i mean there there are certain foods that have that happen because they are substantially more difficult to actually ship Hmm. to areas of, of food scarcity um so so like there are moments where you can read certain like realities of the of the chemistry of food that make certain things impractical but fucking potatoes like you're telling me you can't get a potato to anyone they're like well we wouldn't be making any money it's like you're a fucking ghoul well and i mean like this is deeply indicative of how this food system works right so yeah you have 60 percent of farm demand going to restaurants and school systems so when the school systems and the restaurants shut, 60% of farm demand decreases, even though uh, both of those things mean that more people are hungry. Um, yeah, it's like the, the meals need to uh, just get um, allocated somewhere else. People still need to eat those meals. Exactly. And the instead, <laughs> just set it on fire. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to... To not enjoy this whole capitalism thing, guys. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's revealing some troubling quirks. Yeah, 
um, you know, may need to take a look at, to a little hard look at this whole uh, deal we've got going on that we seem quite um, quite certain we we can kill millions of people in order to protect. I believe that perhaps we should look into beginning to call it, and I'm not sure how effective this will be as praxis, but you know, you got to try what you can that we call it at this time, crapitalism, which I feel is a well, title. It's harsh. It's harsh. Yes, yeah, harsh. Earned it, I believe. I mean, I'm disabling that. What I've, what I've noticed, something I've noticed, um, I don't know if this is going to help, but it's just something I noticed is that um, because Donald Trump uses, I don't know, some like, um, I guess like a tannin, something like a self-tannin thing. He often looks orange. Mm-hmm. I was eating these Cheetos yesterday, right? Okay, Love some yeah. Cheetos. We I'm not sure Cheetos. where you're going with this, but I'm, I'm, well, fo- I'm trying to Check follow. it out. Check it out, right? Because the Cheetos were orange, and like the orange dust was on my fingers. It was making me uh-huh. look orange. Classic, right? yeah. Yeah. You, you know that feeling. You, we all know this classic feeling. Yes, TFW, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, TFW for that. And, um... Yeah, it was on my hands, fingers. I was, I was orange. I was like an orange man. I was a man who was orange, like Donald Trump. And I'm, I'm thinking, if we compare him, like the, the, the orange of his skin, to like a Cheeto, then I, I don't know. Is that am I, am I go, Is that something? Is, is have I got? Am I on the right track here? Is this something we could work with? Well, I mean, it does sound stupid, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's pretty stupid. Yeah, I guess. What if what if you spent three years of a so-called political resistance, solely focusing on this man's physical features and apparent dumbness? Do you think that would be an effective political? I, th- I mean, I really think you're onto something. I think I, so. That I mean, one, I do. I do think there's something there because, like, politics. Boring. Yeah, people. People. Effects. Boring. People don't know what Medicaid is. Like, stop stop talking about that. But he might be. But he might be chubby, and that disgusts me. Mm. And it's a bad. It's morally bad to be. It's morally um, bad. Yes. I forgot to say that part, but that's true. Watching, watching actual grown adults say and do this stuff with with full sincerity feels like I'm going insane. Like I can't. Fat, like it it would be one thing if they weren't also doing this um this horrible charade of um of morality that somehow um so i'm also currently um dealing with un- the unemployment charade um and ha- having a lot of fun filing every single week to so much be- fun beg the government to give me enough food so that i don't starve to death or get evicted during a pandemic because i'm in a state that also hasn't done rent freezes um, uh, and to, to have, and I, I've dealt with severe poverty off and on through my life. I've dealt with malnutrition. I've dealt with the whole, like skipping, skipping meals two or three days a week or more in order to be able to eat. And when you do eat, it's like dipping lunch meat into Caesar dressing. Cause you mathed out that dollar to calorie things like Caesar dressing, give you the most calories for your buck. Uh, but you don't give you any protein. So you need to also hit up the, like, that kind of like horrible poverty math that you do. And then to have that and then look over at uh, like, it's, it's hard as a leftist to remind myself that technically I guess the fascists are worse, 
But then I look at these ghoulish, it's especially like presumably like morally upstanding, like American liberal types. And they're just nightmarishly awful. Like mm. I, I still, I, I have to, I have to like check myself sometimes because they aren't fully indistinguishable, but that's how it's, it's hard to articulate sometimes. It's like things have gotten so shit that one thing can be demonstrably like vicious and awful and uh, casually and deeply homophobic and racist whenever they feel that it fits their new their uh, their needs. And they're technically not the worst one. That like it gets worse than that. And it just like. So I, I can totally follow that, like sometimes this can be very darkly like pitch black funny like almost more like the kind of laughter you have at a funeral like you're not happy it's just sort of like a nervous tick and then other times it's like fucking shoot me <laughs> like yeah yeah i i really you know as someone who lives in a red state in a so-called blue city um that I mean, this really comes into focus in these states, right? Where the liberals have no power except their tiny fiefdoms for these cities. And they have no real bargaining power with the state to extract money from it. Uh, and the state just creates this constant condition of um, disaster or most working people. Hmm. The way they frame their argument is in that morality that you're talking about, Landon, right? It's like, yeah. uh, you know, this is the, but they don't offer up any, you know, you, you don't see even like the bullshit halfway concession democratic socialist conversations happening from the city's mayors or from the state senators or from the Congress people here, you, you hear instead, um, you know, the uh, absolute inverse of that, which is a series of tax breaks to get businesses to come invest in cities. So, you know, they have no moral claim. And as far as the Democratic Party is relevant to our lives, it's mostly as the commanders in chief of brutal racist police forces. Um, they have no moral claim, and any moral claim is absurd. So you turn on CNN, you turn on MSNBC, and you see the conversation that we were just having play out 23 hours a day. People are dying in the fucking streets. It's like, what? Have you looked outside? Like, are you really? You're talking about Trump uh, telling people to drink bleach right now? Because I'm pretty sure that on the day the state of Ohio ordered all restaurants and bars to close, which means laid off 500,000 people, there are only 43 fucking people working in the unemployment office. Why did that happen? I'm pretty sure that the unemployment benefit, minimum uh, benefit requirement for the state of Ohio is $269 a week, meaning that if you make less than that, you don't get unemployment here. We created that system, and none of you motherfuckers have reported on that. Why? <laughs> And now all of a sudden, oh, wow. Tito, orange man bad. He told everyone to drink bleach. Unemployment doesn't work. <laughs> Who knew? I, more people knew. We knew the whole fucking time. You know, this is my first time. This is my fourth time on unemployment. Um, sorry. 
no, no, definitely. Swear away. One, we're uh, definitely not against swearing. And two, with shit like this, there's there's no other adequate way to express how fucked up it makes you feel. Yes, very dread. One of my friends online was saying something today that kind of resonated me, which is like, how do you win against an enemy whose aim is to lose? Because like conservatives, they they create things like that, like that problem where you've got far too few people to serve half a million unemployment claimants, and that was created by you know, conservatives. Then Democrats just didn't resist at all because they didn't really care. Um, and but if like the more things fuck up and the more inefficient and broken things are, the better conservatives do because more people will either get totally nihilistic and think that only culture war matters therefore and conservatives will give them their culture war therefore they get they turn trumpist or they'll just drop out completely of politics or they'll turn into like some weird little niche boutique thing like russia gate or QAnon or something and you have to identify what points of leverage that you can operate in right what are they afraid of and what they're historically afraid of is strike and riot those are the only two yes. real. I mean, there's no electoralism that can, uh, as we're seeing with Biden, right? He's nowhere. He doesn't exist. It, it's no one of the big things that gave a lot of hesitance to myself included to to looking at things like the DSA, not as 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 something distinctly troubling compared to even something like the PSL um, or the various other socialist uh, like political groups in America, because it's like I like. It's it's wonderful how optimistic you guys are, but you seriously think that you can walk into Democratic primaries, strongly challenge the machine, and just win, and that this isn't going to be, and that if you win, it's not going to be because of a bloodbath. Like that's, I admire that optimism, but I, yeah, just as as an aside off of your point, that that was like even that kind of optimistic. I have a, I'm really lucky to have a DSA local that doesn't. Um, this is on um, organizing issues that That's awesome. can be addressed through organizing. But nationally, it's quite disgusting. And I mean, the entire machine of it, Jacobin, um, yeah. the, the rest of those outlets really seems to miss it so consistently and have so clearly created a you know, new media professional class of uh, democratic socialists who really can't make an argument between FDR and what socialism actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's just like, okay, if y'all want to be MSNBC, be MSNBC. Like, no one's holding you back. Go fucking do it. Your sellouts already. I don't care. Um, yeah. In the, in the meanwhile, we're going to be starving. And when the riots happen, they're going to happen with increasing volume. Joshua Clover has convinced me of this. That if you know, uh, that shit happens, you're going to be like, oh, spontaneity is not the proper way to make change. Well, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Look at Chile. That's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember uh, Bashkar Sankara's um, I'm with the police if they're beating up anarchists whole thing from a few years back, which I don't think he's ever um, apologized for, walked back on, or clarified. Uh, because a lot a... of those types don't really fucking care. That's <laughs> that's the other thing is that they, like, 
like what you're saying, Brendan, this is it. On some level, I believe that they believe they're being sincere, but you can watch through their actions that this is some weird fucking game. Like this is as much as the pithy thing of like, oh, Brooklynite hipster so pseudo socialists, blah, 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 is 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 a little bit of a, a cheap hit. It's you hear it consistently because there's something in there that that's resonating with what we see. And it's like maybe that phraseology isn't exactly what we're looking at, but there's something like that and around. And it's been around in American politics basically since uh, around Occupy becoming like this big actual like presence. Hmm. Yeah, so we're going to we're going to talk about Brendan's book at some point today. Uh <laughs> um, because and it is a good book. That's it's a damn good book. Very good book. book. Um, and and it's a, it's about the stuff we're talking about. So I don't feel yeah. like you know if it was about uh, flowers and sunsets, then yeah, we've probably done a disservice I, to the book. But um, I, no, it's, I, it's about I, I, all this stuff. I mentioned before that, especially with um, that for me, like there there's of course certain kinds of books that gesture inward and that's that's their power is that you think about the book on the terms of being a book but um most of the books that i tend to like click with deeply and resonate super strongly with are ones that do kind of the opposite that like the book almost becomes a priming ground for my brain to then point back out at the world and either see things i didn't see before or to get fired up about things that i'd gotten a little bit complacent about um, and so that's, I, I definitely was like, uh, quiet, angry ranting as I was reading this, which I think <laughs> is indicative of its strength. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I feel like that's probably part of its intended goal of like, to, I, I to be fair, I, I'm also going through this and I've, I've been through this before. So it's, it's also very like deeply personal for me, but like mm, puts, same. puts the fire in your belly, which is like. There's a power to polemic, uh, polemical, you know, political uh, literature like yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, good political literature and especially polemical stuff is like it's like that uh, the guy in your corner in a boxing match. He's, you're just like between rounds and he's just like massaging you. He's like, go back out there. Give him hell. Whatever they say in Rocky, I've never, I've never seen one of the Rocky films. Rocky's <laughs> good. You should, you should watch the Rocky films personally. That's my personal stance. Now you're gonna do you ultimately, and I know that because you're an adult. But they're okay, baller. I, I think yeah, the first one's probably good, right? It's it's like Rambo, like the first one's for grown ups, and then they become a cartoon. Well, watch Creed Rocky. was also fire. Yeah, Creed is really good. Watch Rocky, Rocky two. I would even go as far as Rocky three. And Doesn't Rocky Free have B.A. Baracus in it, though? It does. Okay, I'll probably watch that. Uh, that's uh, Rocky Four does have a uh, a Russian robot man who punches so hard that you die. Um, yeah, that's pretty sick. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, like, I think that's the one I have seen. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, I'm an American leftist, so there's an amount of jingoism that turns me off, but also I am technically still an American. So if you go far enough in one direction, it does loop back around and I'm like, fuck yeah. Like it's, it's irrational. And like, it stops when the movie's gone. I'm like, man, we, we brutalized the global South. And someone's like, weren't you chanting for Yvonne Drago's head? Just like, five? and I'm like, that's different. He's a demon. Okay. Hmm. Like he's a demon. <laughs> Yeah, and you, you could easily like redub it so Rocky is actually a principal leftist who is attacking the Soviet Union for betraying the revolution, and then, like, his <laughs> final punch is like, 
Uh, I'm sure that's the Jacobin take. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we get too tanky on him? But, uh, you know. But uh, anyway, we're going to play some music before we get back into some some poetry talk here. Uh, I think we'll do... Should we do Serifungal first? Let's do Serifungal. Okay, so these guys from Ventura, California have been around for fucking ever. I think this is their first album in couple of decades now it is their first album since 1991 although that album from 1991 also wasn't widely uh distributed so in terms of records that people can actually easily acquire it's their first one since 1986 holy shit yeah that's part of what makes it like this reminds me so much of the uh the resurgence of satan uh, not the theological figure who never diminished his his yeah. spirit rides high. Um, uh, but uh, the 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 new wave of British heavy metal band that had their mm-hmm. comeback like seven years ago, seven eight years mm. ago. Now it's it's been a that bit, feels, but yeah, wow, that's just been that same that that same kind of vibe of like it's. So if I were to describe it as it's as though the band was placed into deep freeze and was thought out in the present century because we need them now. Um, that would almost make it sound like it's like kitschy retro throwback. But mm. one, unlike a lot of those retro throwback bands, which to be fair, I, I like a great deal of them because <laughs> another brief aside, it doesn't matter if it's kitsch, if the songs are good because it's music. Mm. The shit isn't rocket science. Um, exactly. Yeah. Small uh, to Eternal Champion, Crip Sermon. We like those bands. Yeah. They're good. Fu- fucking love Smolder. So goddamn mm. good. Um, but get Sarah on the show sometime. What am I doing? Should. Yeah, that'd be incredible. Um, but unlike those, these guys definitely have like a direct claim to that sound. They helped make it. Like hmm. these guys are li- like a lot of their peers, like Manila Road, um, and and also like Satan, like wildly overlooked when they were around. Hmm. Like as oh, much yeah. as they're legends now, they were functional non-starters because they were trying to make like american power metal mixed with like a lot more doom metal and like 70s rush as well um in an era where thrash was taking off um Mm. like they just even amongst other bands like that they didn't really have purchase but like manila road they've you know they're considered like god tier legends now like um (laughs) frost and fire and uh king of the dead are considered like fucking perfect metal Mm. records like like perfect like you could hand them to a non-believer and be like, yo, this is what I think is lit. You see that man fighting a lich on the cover? Yeah, this music sounds like that. Um, but yeah, and then this new one. So in the in the metal press, we've had copies of this since like January or February. It's been a long time. Literally, everyone's ravenous about it. It was just like, God, it's so fucking good. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's not it's it's not corny. It's it's perfectly played. Every yeah, it's it just works, and it is like defrosting a band from the eighties and telling them just go at it, make what what you want, with no regard to what's happened in the last thirty years. Um, yeah, just absolutely perfect album. Probably uh, album the sound is so central. Right yeah, absolutely. The sound is so central to like what heavy metal is like. Mm-hmm. Not like even like devoid of subgenres stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's that it's like you 
I can't imagine someone who likes metal hearing this and not liking it because that almost feels it's it would be like not liking those key Judas Priest records. It's like you just don't like metal. And I don't know how to tell you that because this is like so central to that. And it's performed so well that. Yeah, I can't imagine ever not loving this. Yeah. So, yeah, if you don't love this, then, yeah, just just fuck off. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> care about you at this point. Just go lick the doors on a hospital. Get coughed on. I don't care anymore. But um, <laughs> so we're going to play the second or read the first track off the intro on the album. It's called Legions Arise. It'll get you so pumped up. Like you're just going to run through a, like a series of brick walls after hearing this one. So you're gonna a, you're gonna go fight your stepdad. Yeah, your stepdad. You should. He needs to start start getting his affairs in order because he's fucking he, done. So yeah, gone. He's a a stain on the pavement right now. You get you gotta get him for, <laughs> for taking your mum for uh, not getting you a Nintendo Switch before they all sold out. You gotta take that motherfucker down. He's you're going down. Destroy him. He's you, dead you, now. Yeah, you are the legions right now, and you're going to arise. You're going to beat the <laughs> fuck out of Steve. So <laughs> here is Legions Arise by Sir Fungal.
was legions arrived by Sir Fungal, um, your stepdad is going to die at your yeah, hands. He's, <laughs> he's probably died now. You've, you've probably run in his general direction, and you're going to like all of his all of his bones, which once were uh, which once were in his body, are now outside of his body, and he is dead. Yeah, you've this kills the man. His skeleton out of his body. I mean, God. <laughs> Like the forensic people going through this are going to not believe it until they see that you were listening to Sir Fungal. Some of them are going to throw up. Yeah. And they'll be like seasoned professionals who have dealt, dealt with this stuff before, but you've actually just punched a guy's skeleton out. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so that's how good that album is. There are, and there are many, many more great albums. One of them is about, it's called Stormbringer. It's about fucking Elric books. It's so good. Um, Most of these songs are about Elric books. Yeah, I mean that one obviously is. They're the they're like they're like from the beautiful alternate world in which the one book that people have read instead of being fucking Harry Potter are like the Elric uh, books. That would be a, I, I want to go live in that world. That that world probably doesn't have COVID. <laughs> that that world probably doesn't have fascists. It's like if ever you see someone abusing uh, people of color or queer folk, what you do is you get a cursed blade and you behead them, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everyone, everyone looks like they're from a Franzetta painting. They're all ripped. They've all got tons of steel. We are fucking just... shredded in this world. Yeah. There, there should be an anti-fascist Frank Franzetta. That would be um, That'd be cool. Uh, but anyway, uh, I mean, th- really, but actually, that already exists. Uh, Brendan Joyce here is the anti-fascist Franz Franzetta of words. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Does it tight, tight segue there? Yeah, yeah. Beautiful, seamless. Yeah. Applauding. But um, so yeah, um, unemployment insurance. Um, so this is your second. Is it your second book? Was it your second book that's recent? Yeah, this is my second book. Cool. And your first was um, character limit, which was written on Twitter. And um, I'm I'm not a poetry guy. I'll say up front, but that's not, I don't like poetry. It's just, I don't, I must've missed out that point in your life where you get into poetry and now it's just going to be too much of a learning curve to get back into it. But what I've read here, I really like, I just really like. So yeah, tell us a little bit about the, about the book and what it is, what, it, what you're trying to do with it, what, how it works. Absolutely. Uh, I could, and I start off just by talking about character limit a little bit, um, mm-hmm. how that happened. I'd been working on a manuscript for a while where about Cleveland and about working in restaurants, a busboy. Um, and I grew up in a neighborhood that's gentrified entirely. It's like not the same neighborhood anymore. Um, and restaurants are a key part of that, uh, the economic development aspect. And so I've always written poetry, and I wanted to write about that specifically. But I have this problem, and it comes more, I've kind of found a good middle ground with unemployment insurance. But uh, I have a problem where I can't shut up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, what poets do when they can't shut up is they start looking at forms. Uh, mm-hmm. Sonnet form, uh, which I'm sure we all know th- from our English classes at least in Shakespeare, is mm-hmm. a pretty automatic form. Um, and it's risen in popularity 
uh, some poets think that when there's uh, fascism in the world, um, sonnets come back, form comes back. People want to be able to uh, express their reaction to this chaos as uh, tightly as possible. Um, and it can be quite soothing to write in form, but I can't count. And so <laughs> <laughs> I also, I have, I have trouble hearing stresses, uh, or at least I had trouble. I was writing character limits, so I thought, you know what? Listen, we already have a form. It's 180 characters. We already have a form. It's a tweet. It's the viral tweet. Every viral tweet involves a twist at the end. It's a punchline, right? Uh, what we call that in the sonnet is the volta, the last two lines uh, that uh, break the rest of the sonnet. Um, and once I realized that, I realized, oh, shit. There we go. That's a book. So I started writing jokes out, basically, uh, with line breaks in them, and then started cannibalizing the manuscript I had already written, or been writing, uh, and in a 67-tweet thread, wrote a chapbook live over three weeks on Twitter. That was in September, and it has now sold 500 copies. That's uh, awesome. A digital ebook. Um, I reviewed places which is pretty cool um I, uh so i wrote that book since i wrote that book i started writing on a book called fascism needs an apocalypse um which was really the first 34 poems here uh, in mm -hmm. this book uh unemployment insurance um and as i wrote it i you know i was pretty sure okay here's a chat book a chat book is like half the size of a full-length book um and and I was aiming to release it around March. But as the pandemic unfolded and began to unfold, I realized that the uh, moment, um, and I was having some crazy feelings, as I think we all do when we're laid off and stuck mm -hmm. in our houses and trying to figure out what's happening and what, what parts of our material realities have changed, how that affects material power. But uh, I also just thought fascism needs an apocalypse is a little bit too on the nose. People would think that I you know, came up with that as a response to what's happening. Um, so I tabled that title and I started writing, much like I did character limit very quickly. Um, that's what became the second half of this book, Weekly Claims. Um, all of those have been written in quarantine. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm still revising a little bit. The book drops on May 1st, and this is being recorded on the 24th. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to document. I mean, I think that we, as a restaurant worker, I have always known that I am on the margins of work necessary by society. Uh, that's rel you know that's typified by the tip minimum wage um that's typified by the lack of any labor wage and hour or uh rights enforcement in the restaurants and it's also typified by uh the labor movement's absolute disinterest in organizing freestanding independent restaurants um and so through this book i'm just trying to document you know i'm just trying to work through those feelings 
and examine those what have been obsessions for me for a long time. Um, but as a restaurant worker has now lost their job, we're all having this moment where we're reckoning with the entire category of the worker, right? They're mm-hmm. no longer workers. We receive from the wage fund uh, through unemployment insurance, or maybe we're waiting to receive from the wage fund. Um, for a moment, the whole labor dynamic in the country has changed. Uh, and a lot of what you might call Marxist analysis of what's supposed to happen now is it doesn't feel quite applicable because we are not, our leverage does not come from our ability to produce. Our, mm-hmm. our leverage comes mostly through points of circulation. So I'm kind of trying to work through and think about those issues uh, as well. Yeah, uh, everyone's favorite magazine, Jacobin, recently oh. uh, published an article on how there needs to be a, a kind of strike wave, just to to kind of get I love being late. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Hey, I just came up with a great idea, and I'm the first one to have done this. What right. if? <laughs> what if loads of people strike, like generally? And um, yeah, they they seem to be uh, that seems to be the consensus now that the people still remaining working will strike therefore and somehow win some concessions for the people who aren't working um i'm not sure how well that's going to go for the same reasons that strikes in uh, neoliberal western countries don't tend to do very well just because people ran out of money and then what do they do we don't have strike funds like you did in like the 50s or, or earlier well, I mean, in the 30s, when the general strikes invented unions here, right? Hmm. Uh, there weren't, I mean, the organizing drives were well-resourced, but the strike funds were almost non-existent. And real, I mean, there was just such mass movement, commitment, shutting down hotels, restaurants, every aspect of a city think about the city as a whole and get each industry to participate in that thing. I think one of the like good things about going into May 1st and thinking about it is, well, there's so few businesses that are allowed to operate right now. Setting mm-hmm. up a general strike condition is actually far easier because all you have to do is shut down the grocery stores and the retail. Um, <coughs> and that's way better than having to shut down the factories at the same time, shut down, uh, public transit at the same time. Um, we're already seeing wildcats emerge, um, as I'm sure Jacobin wanted, wanted to frame as indicative of something larger. Uh, but one thing I write about in the book is the last night I worked at the restaurant, staying in the kitchen, the first time in my life in Cleveland, Ohio, a restaurant. One suggested wildcat strike. Not me. One that was not me. <laughs> <laughs> said we should wildcat. Wild they didn't say wildcat because I don't think they know what that is, but they said we should walk out if this continues. And two days later, the governor shut the restaurants. Hmm. Um, I see that worker consciousness just elevated to a level. My workplace, I don't know if you guys agree, uh, that I hadn't thought was possible You know, two weeks before this happened. No, my yeah, I've been... Oh, sorry. Go on. Yeah, Landon, you probably have a lot better 
Um, I so I also work in a in like the food and hospitality industry and seeing not just from places where, but you wind up having a lot of friends who also work in those places because you, you all hold similar hours of like going into work in the middle of another person's day and coming out at work, like deep into someone else's night and all all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, the, I, 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 I'd seen a lot of parallel stuff during the buildup of, um, of the COVID stuff of people starting to, it seemed that it helped quite a bit that there wasn't, it didn't feel abstract to people anymore. The notion of like, no, this controls very directly your health, this controls. And there's, we, um, in, in theory space and leftist theory space, we use rhetoric of contagion quite a bit. We talk about overall metaphorical sickness, metaphorical health. We, we invoke, um, health images to talk about, um, the psyche, social relations, romantic relationships, um, like so we're we're well versed with this kind of language, but one of the slippages that's always been there uh, that that rubs people the wrong way, and to be fair, that we get uh, correct pushback from like especially disability advocacy is where that it doesn't quite line up. Like we're invoking ailments or sickness or ill health in a way that someone who actually deals with this finds makes their life harder because of ways that we've. And it's like, okay, well, that that's a thing that we've always sort of struggled with. But then it's like we were handed this. We've talked about this before. It's like we all live in like the worst fucking novel in the world because it's like it's so painfully literal when you have yeah. an actual pandemic. Like it actually mm-hmm. works the way that we've theoretically sort of trained ourselves to think about like, oh, well, you can be a passive carrier of something like homophobia or white supremacy and maybe you don't actively engage in it. but by being a passive carrier, by not actively resisting, by not being functionally like a social antibody, you can, all of a sudden we have all of that literalizing in front of us. And so then something like labor conditions, where it's like the conditions of your labor don't just threaten you, they threaten the health of your family, they threaten the health of your friends. Literally now, literally, because you might be exposed to something and you might expose yourself to them all, yeah, just seeing how that seemed to crack open a lot of people where it's like, oh, shit, that like, because I've been the lefty agitator in uh, restaurant workplaces before talking about like, hey, we should unionize. This is the benefits that we could see from that. This, And they're like, no, nah, I'm worried, though. And I'm like, we do. I live in Virginia. So it's like if they catch a whiff that you're trying to unionize, yeah. they'll just fire everyone. And it's yeah. um, Yeah. So it's we have probably very similar. uh tales of like quietly agitating for like five six years in a restaurant and not necessarily getting anywhere because of this this fear barrier that people had which you can kind of understand because if for me a lot of it was like a um hispanic first generation immigrant mother of two going this is how i pay for my kids i can't risk getting fired i'm like i can't fault you like it's it's fucked that we have right to work laws that functionally make that a serious consideration that you have to make. But I can't blame you for not for going like, are your ethics more important than your actual children? But then all of a sudden you have this thing where it's like now they have to meet because bending your ethics is what will harm your family. And yeah, seeing that seem to like watching it click in people. Well, it's, I like I hate the conditions that made it happen, but it's 
exciting in some primal way to see it actually happening. Right. And I, I think that what this did is it illustrated what the conditions of work in these working environments always are. Yes. However, I'm deeply concerned of the ability to make that seem like a temporary phenomena. Uh, we're about to see happen, and I guess we have already started to see happen, reopening of these businesses. Um, I hope that the trauma of that work within grocery store workers and food, you know, food workers uh, is able to bring that consciousness of, oh, if I, anytime I go into work, I don't have health and safety protections. I am injuring the lives of everyone I know. Anytime I go into work and uh, the dynamic is I am being coerced to go to work and get sick and die or stay home and starve. That is an uh, unacceptable condition that I have to react and retaliate against. Uh, I, I hope that that's the case, right? Yeah. I, I can also see it going the other way, where, like, for instance, Governor Mike DeWine has been pushing this notion that we're going to slowly start reopening starting in May and then continuing onwards. Um, him pushing that notion and presenting data that says the curve has been flattened. Uh, meanwhile, the caseloads in Ohio's prison systems in incarcerated people are skyrocketing to such a degree that these are the biggest epicenters of the coronavirus nation. He's, but he's presenting to workers that it's safe to go back to work, which is, we know, impossible. Right? At the same time, he's creating a condition where you have to pick between, okay, do you want to go back to work? Or if you say no, you lose your unemployment insurance. And then once you lose your unemployment insurance, uh, which is, by the way, a at least in the United States, you can speak to Universal Credit, Gareth. But uh, right now, that's $600 a week plus the state's minimum. So that's $737 a week, which for most workers that I know, that is way more money than they make on the books. So yeah. they would much rather make that and stay home than have to go back to work and risk their fucking lives. Absurdity. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I hope that the governors are not able to create this fantasy. This is over because it is not over. The second, the second we open back up, this shit skyrockets. The same things have to happen, but they're going to be even less willing than they were the first time to shut things down. Mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, cap, they're in the thrall of capital, right? That's why they're reopening in the first place, because the Koch brothers are instituting these wild protests that they're even concerned about from a public health perspective. To end those protests, they'll let the hair salons up, right? Like, it's a wild calculus mm -hmm. of uh, who is allowed to live and die right now. It's uh, one of the most frustrating things that I've had with having... I, obviously this happens with a lot of other people, but for me, the most intimate one is, is watching my mom become very much like CNN type liberal is the response of looking at those kinds of protests and thinking like, ah, oh, these people are so dumb. They're going to get what, what they're asking for and they don't even know it and trying to convey like, no, that one, this is astroturfed. Most of these people aren't dumb. They're not going to be the ones setting foot back in those places. They're right. agitating for that. 
they're not going to be those people. They're going to kill the poor. Why are they going to kill the poor? Because they're mad. Like, we even have pithy jokes about, like, oh, big line go down. But I was talking to my brother about it. It's it's more pathological than that. They look at that big line as, like, that is my power in the world. That is my worth in the world. This Like, it's this deep pathology that isn't... We even sometimes in left spaces painted as they're being dumb. And it's like, no, they're not being dumb. They, this is how they view the world. They're being evil. Yeah. Like it's different. Yeah. Like it makes it really? funnier when we paint them as like just bumblefucks, but they're one, they're in power. They're the opposite of bumblefucks. If anything, we need to take a harsh look in the mirror of like, if they're so fucking stupid, how do they control everything? And we don't, hmm. um, and we're right and they're wrong. How did that happen? And it's because of this overwhelming might. They're willing to like, again, like all of these can't, uh, most of these campaigns are AstroTurf. There is like minimal internet research to find like, oh, all of them get funding from a handful of like hedge fund people, just like how the Koch brothers were AstroTurfing the Tea Party. It's like, okay. And the whole like, um, it's where you get the uh, pathological self-tattling when you get these people going like, oh, every leftist is Soros-funded. It's like, one, we're not, but two, you really would know about a billionaire funding you, wouldn't you? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> that I, it makes sense that this is the first thing you think. Um, no one actually has convictions. They're all getting paid off by somebody. And like, that barrier of like, not just the people in power doing this, but how do we convince the people witnessing it, that it's like, no, you're not watching your dumb neighbor. You're watching your manipulative as fuck neighbor. Like, yeah, I, I wrote a little thread about something I was thinking about with those protests, which is that conservatives love telling themselves that they are the thin red line between uh, civilization and communism, which 100% always ends up with mass deaths. And those people probably the Koch brothers themselves, or the Koch brother, because luckily one of them died. That is true. One of them died. I keep forgetting that. Yep. <laughs> Shit is due to ass out. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, they, they have probably done a little calculation in their head and said, if we let people stay inside, eventually they're going to need universal basic income or universal services, like food delivered to their houses. Um, and that's a communism right there. And if we do communism, millions of people are going to die. It's going to be a, a Holocaust-level death thing, because that's what always happens in, under communism. Therefore, we must be heroes and prevent that from happening by getting Killing everyone back people. to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's an obvious... I mean, I think something that we really always have to start talking about more and focusing on more is not capitalism. Um, the left has failed. It's that it's that yeah, you know, like Langdon said, the the right are just so insanely powerful that there's no way we can't fail. We're always going to lose to them unless we radically change our aims and uh, the means we use to achieve those aims. I mean, that's that's I think to 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 tie it back to that's that's the power of what Brendan was saying of like increased strikes of things like general strikes. We even saw we only got the terror response from the state that we did from Occupy and especially from Black Lives Matter. Uh, or I guess they were roughly equal, but they had very different shapes. Um, but we only got that because it was like. I forget no doppel. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, I keep I keep forgetting that that one even happened because it ended in that fucking nightmare shit show of they just like drove everyone out, force erected the pipeline at a an escalated time span so that no one could get back and stop them, and then it immediately sprung a leak. Yeah, really. just like, um, that yeah, we already see that like because that's that's one of the big problems. As much as the state is quite willing to fire on civilians, we even have historical examples within the labor movement of like machine gun fire being wielded against labor uh, organizers in the mid 20th century too. Like not even like it's not ancient at all. Um, we just tend not to, well, we have the left talk about it a lot because it's, it's this horrific nightmare that is at very educational, but most people tend not to know about it. But um, there is of course, especially with uh contemporary uh, media, the notion of like, there is that barrier uh, that helps protect mass protests of like, they have to carry out things like the, um, you can't see me doing scare quotes, but the rash of suicides around Black Lives Matter protesters. Um, this is how it has to function because it can't be out in the open anymore. Like people will see it and it's very hard to justify like, that's where we have like these weird equivocations with the uh, police executions of of black civilians where like they have to go through this mental ringer in order to justify it because if anyone saw a police officer executing someone in cold blood and no other explanation you start going holy shit like like oh we're we're the baddies um, well i mean i mean we have seen it though and no. oh yeah i think think that this is this is a big part of character limit at uh, illustrates or like not illustrates but names the book a lot of it happens in 2016 um and that was when michael brillo got off for uh gage in one of the worst um most despicable uh actions of police execution uh in a car chase that involved uh, every single district of the police department in Cleveland and spanned miles that uh, ultimately resulted in the police execution of two unarmed uh, black people. Uh, and it, the whole point of it was just that they thought they heard a, allegedly, they, they heard a, the car backfire and thought it was gunfire. And so they sent the entirety of the Cleveland Police Department to chase, and then murder through a volley of uh, shots to people who were unarmed. And mm -hmm. that case, when Michael Brillo uh, was acquitted in uh, 2016, uh, the response here was small but tactical. And 72 protesters went downtown. Um, and they had, they, I, th I think they filed what their parade route, right? Um, right through the central business district, right through the restaurant district. And SWAT came and arrested, penned in, and then arrested every single person in that, and then left them in Cuyahoga County Jail for two weeks without charging them. Um, so, and we talk about the state response to action now. I think we have to 
I think you know, the state learns as much as we do. So Occupy, the state learned, okay, you have to clear the camps out day one. You can't let them go on. And Ferguson, the state realized, okay, we're just going to send the military in. Then Doppel, uh, no Doppel, same thing. We're just going to send the military in. Uh, we're going to let it seem okay for a while, and then we're going to beat the shit out of them and send mm -hmm. the military in. Now, no, they're not. They're going to arrest the peaceful protesters. They're not going to. They're not going to let it come to riot conditions. Which I, I I find it very odd that the left seems to continuously dismiss spontaneity as an effective strategy for uh, developing uh, you know, mass movement and insurrection. Because if you don't, if you give anybody a heads up, you are in deep danger from the start. If you if you organize this in the way that we're talking about. I believe in rent strikes, I believe in strikes, I believe in boycotts, and I believe in labor actions, but I, you know, we have to look at what's been effective everywhere else, and really, they didn't do a general strike, they burned their fucking subway down, and within a week, they had constitutional amendments, giving wild reforms to their democracy. So, you know, that's the sort of action that really starts to become necessary when you consider the state's ability and willingness to deploy military, wild military power. Um, and we, you know, the other thing is we have to stop talking about systems and start talking about people. These are fucking capitalists, right? These are capitalists that control these systems, that implement uh, this, this ruin. And if think about it just as a system of things that happen in the background, if we, if we use this sort of like mysticism around it, it makes it incredibly hard to engage with. Um, I try to do that in my work so we know these are people who are alive. They have names and addresses. This is not a situation where we don't know who they are. We absolutely know who the fuck they are. Uh, and there's way more of us than there are of them. So, I don't know. Sorry to go full bore there, but... <laughs> no, do it. No. Shit, go, go fuller. Turn it off. <laughs> this is absolutely um, the place where you can, where you can go off. And it's absolutely the kind of thing that I think a lot of leftists also sometimes need to hear, especially younger ones who aren't necessarily. Um, <clears throat> I I don't want to act like it's it's bad to be new to leftism and to have certain to have holdover ideals from before you got more fully into leftism. I mean, we've all been there. We've all had our different training grounds. Um, now, for a lot of younger people, it tends to be Twitter and left book. For older leftists, it was other kinds of places. That's a process. That's a normal kind of process. But there's something like anecdotally worthwhile of remembering that, like, I had friends who were involved in Occupy who swore that they would never get an iPhone and would only ever use an Android because they could take the battery out of their Android and thus completely disable tracking and would have like a flip phone and they were like you can't during this period i'm going to verbally tell you this isn't getting written down i'm not transmitting it anywhere i'm verbally telling you within this span on these days contact me on this phone not at the other one um and it seems like paranoid behavior it seems like something that and we see this a lot especially um people who look like me normally cishet white radicals who present themselves as substantially more radical and substantially more threatened by the state than we are. Um, but, and it can become annoying seeing that kind of behavior, but then all you need to do is look back at like 
uh, no dapple um, at at Occupy at Black Lives Matter to and you those are the big ones, but you see smaller ones all around. I mean, this nightmaric or nightmarish like um, active state oppression, like it escalating far beyond militarized police to the point where admittedly the the line between police and military is already incredibly thin but sometimes we just explicitly cross it and like even in the midst of corona stuff the build-up to it was they shipped a bunch of apcs to a bunch of different cities in america in sort of like off sites on the off chance that when they announced coronavirus regulations for states and cities that people might riot so that they could suppress those riots. And as much as, well, this is actually a clear and present health danger, the deployment of things like APCs for that kind of suppression should indicate to a leftist of like, one, they were doing that as preventative, like as we don't know they're going to riot, but if they riot and you have to, you have to tell yourself like, like what you were saying, Brendan, that's how they think. They're thinking, it's not that it's five-dimensional chess. The shit's obvious stuff to think about. Like, you're not a genius for going, what if my opponent responds? But sometimes it feels like you do have to shake people and go, they're actively suppressing leftism. They will actively try to respond. You have to think proactively, not like, we can't be reactive. We can't even play by the rules in a lot of ways. That's just, it it won't work because they, like, as you mentioned, the systems are these immaterial abstract things and we can analyze them and there's value to that. But ultimately, people are wielding these systems and people made these systems. They're not invented out of the blue. They aren't these abstract things that live off and never, never land. They are tools made by people to do a thing. And if you know the people, if you know the tool maker, you can guess what it's going to do. And that that simplifies a lot of the work where you can go like the structures of submitting, you know, Oh, I want to do a protest. So I need to do X, Y, and Z. That is pretty obviously. And you see like who, like the KKK doesn't get turned down, but then, you know, racial rights, uh, uh, marches do get turned down. And I mean, just look at federal injunctions on picket lines. Yeah. Like if you step too close to do a door, if you say a too violent phrase, your picket line gets shut. Boom, done. And then you get a federal injunction and then you take all of the money away from the union. <laughs> it's it's that that is one of the most obvious situations, right? Because it is supposedly supposed to be the most powerful, a strike. But if you are that uh, legally constrained in what you can and cannot do on a picket line, how much power do you actually have? The the initial strikes, these initial actions were totally extra legal. Had no legal backing or protections. Instead, they had bodies <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was a force equation and uh our ability like the lack of institutional memory around that or collective memory around that you know it's probably one of the most astonishing things to me in terms of i mean outside of just totally forgetting that this is a, a settled settler colonial empire here right now we are not um no, we are not existing in a country that was pre-existent. <laughs> this, this, this is just a made-up fucking thing. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the strikes that we're seeing, that we're going to see, are not going to be, if they are effective, they are not going to be the kind 
you get a federal injunction for saying we will bury you, the picket line, mm. are going to be the kind that are far more disruptive and totally different um, than you know when you see Scabby the Rat outside of McDonald's. Mm. I, yeah. So I, I was wondering, should we start talking about my book a little bit more? Mm-hmm. I'm, I keep ranting. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, it's good. But uh, yeah, we want to. How about we we read something from your book? Well, how about you read something from your book because you know how it goes. But, That's right. Um, yeah, you just just pick something go, and go off and um, yeah, do it. Uh, this is ghosts. This is uh, from unemployment insurance. Insurance uh, from the first section talking about the weather. I'm alone with the night again, thinking every union, every right, the ghost of a failed general strike. The smoke laughs out of me against the night, every union, every right, the ghost of a failed general strike. My father taught me how to play poker next to the trophy bed. After every deal, he said, the pot is right. This pot is right and why, ghost of a failed general strike. His metallic mauve Ultima, the black and milds cut sharpie-sized holes in the tan leather interior. Every cigarette, every car, the ghost of a failed general strike. Uncle kept a sawed off in his jacket to keep the scabs in line. Summer 59, nationwide strike. Every empty steel mill I spelunked in, drunk and underage. Every warehouse, empty like my pockets. Every cavity in the city's foaming mouth. Every inch of continued occupation of this continent. Ghosts of a failed general strike. Teeth, leather, bricks in the pavement. The river and its course. The speed at which a car becomes criminal the color and quantity, my hair, the height and weight of my father and uncles, the percentage of the stars in the sky at night, ghosts of a failed general strike. If there were enough of us to clap and for it not to sound <laughs> pathetic, then we would. <laughs> that was damn good. I mean, that's that's why I think that it feels so proper that we've been having this more generative discussion because, like, I hear that and... All- <laughs> I've I've been in working class conditions long enough that I hear that and immediately I just want to go like throttle my fucking boss. Um <laughs> like and, and and not not in not in a euph- well, I, I a parody satire not in a euphemistic way. Yeah, that's I'm being satirical with this. Yes. Mm. <laughs> but uh that yeah, that it I mean that's one of the biggest qualms that certain people have in the literary space that are not poets that have with poetry. It's the sense that poetry becomes almost too personal, too venal. It has this weird kind of, which, which is fucking stupid to be fair. I'm not, I'm not defending. That's a really fucking dumb way to think about things, but you have, and we all have, especially those of us who studied literature or who work in literature, have this image in the back of our heads of like when poetry used to blank. And that's also kind of a weird um, historical uh like shibboleth that it isn't really a a thing that we can strongly point to it's just this weird sort of idealistic feeling but it's also incredibly racist yes yes it is uh, um, it, but uh, just to cut you off really quick one thing is uh that you're talking about right now that personal confessional poetry the lyric right um that is a materially crafted uh aesthetic uh, that was directly backed by the CIA uh, in the creation of the workshop system. And this is well-documented. Um, 
have you read the workshop of empire uh i haven't read that specific um mm. piece but i i do know quite a bit about the whole like the cia backing yeah. show don't tell and a whole bunch of other aspects mm. of uh contemporary yeah. art in america iowa writers workshop uh, yeah. exactly yeah the whole thing. non um was it abstract expressionism for, of all things exactly and that that goes towards your point linkedin and it by these writers that i'm in cohort with are uh kind of writing towards a different experience um it's, it's something that we think about deeply in our aesthetics so i'm glad that you uh picked up on that and it it it, it becomes something that like you get that that lightning rod moment and it's like i i mean uh it, it this is one of the reasons why even though we don't cover a tremendous amount of poetry i mean i i'm more the the, the poetry one than uh than gareth which you know tastes abound that's that's a whole thing um but uh it's one of the reasons that we had like um rax king on for her uh chapbook the people's elbow because every now and again I mean, it's 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 honestly substantially more frequent in the world of poetry than non-poetry followers uh, would imagine. But you can sometimes grab something that feels like you're pouring like burning gasoline into your veins um, in that like very primal, like almost stereotypical art experience kind of way. And like the way that. Maybe like I can't necessarily speak for other people because what you were writing in your book is so deeply like has been my day to day experience for the past decade of my life. So it becomes this like. This like force multiplier or like emotional uh, intensifier that just. I don't know, I, I think about some some hypothetical person being like, oh, you know. Uh, poets you know oh, shut the fuck up like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's pretty much why like out of all the poets that i could have invited on the show and there's a lot of them I mean, <clears throat> certain ones rise to the top of my like um non-poet keeping up with brain and some you just came up and i was like okay i this works for me this is you know obviously it doesn't quite speak to my life as much as it does to Langdon because there's an ocean separating us but um yeah it it did it did have that like lightning rod okay we gotta we gotta get this guy in the show kind of moment for me so yeah just like damn well done dude well done yeah if you can make Thank me you. If you can make me uh take pay attention then you're doing something right um so where can people Get, um, this is coming out May 1st, right? Yeah. So, um, so I self-publish. Uh, there's all sorts of political implications in doing that. One of the best parts of self-publishing, and I would encourage anyone to, is uh, if you self-publish ebooks, do not engage in the distribution system of Amazon. You don't have to mm. rely on that exploited labor. No one's ever going to throw their back out stocking your book. <laughs> you, you know, you you get to kind of remove yourself from that system. Um, but I publish on gumroad.com mm -hmm. slash nice try officer. Uh, and unemployment insurance is going to be available there May 1st. It's $15. 
character limit is up there as well for ten dollars or a pay what you want price if you want to just download it and read it go right ahead there's also now a character limit handle uh that's uh character l underscore limit uh and that has the full book typed out or tweeted out uh on there statically forever um mm -hmm. so anyone can engage in it that way if they so choose yeah, I'm, re I'm really liking Gumroad at the moment. Like, I'm seeing a, like people have been trying to make this whole like um, kind of like Bandcamp for writing work for a while now, and I think Gumroad, unless they fuck up badly, they're gonna they're gonna be the ones to pull it off. And like yeah. a hopefully soon some some big thing will come out of uh, Gumroad, just the same way that like um, SoundCloud created a style of rap. Yeah, there could be stars of poetry and prose that could come out of digital distribution that are going to be as different from, you know, uh, SoundCloud rap is from like Puff Daddy or something. So, yeah. I hope Gumroad. so. Gumroad, I'm liking a lot at the moment. Um, I do have qualms with it. Like, Gumroad, it's very hard to go find writing on Gumroad. In a more passive way, like you might on Amazon, right? Like you can't shop on Gumroad as easily. Um, I guess, yeah. And th that, like, if I could change one thing, if I could make my own platform, it'd be okay, there's only writing and that's it, right? Uh, so you don't end up like fucking downloading some sort of $150 software, <laughs> which <laughs> is also sold on Gumroad, right? So, um, yeah, we'll obviously put a link to the book and your previous work in the show notes, and we'll be tweeting it out as well. Um, so, but we're going to end the show with a song by the band Catatonia with a K. Um, these dudes have been around a while. Not as long as oh, they've yeah. gone, but um, they've, been, they've been like a major... Um, a major figure in the metal scene for a long time now. At least it's the 90s, right? Maybe they started in the very early 90s. So they started mm. in the same wave of Death Doom that gave us um, that gave us uh, Anathema and My Dying Bride, like mm, they yeah. and Paradise Lost, like they came yeah, up that, in that same space. Yeah, like Paradise but, Lost and um, My Dying Bride and these guys are like the, the free Three Musketeers of that kind of like gothicy, clean singing death doom. Well, I mean, Anathema was also like a, a really, really big one as well, um, or early on. And but these guys were a lot more similar to the kind of arc that Anathema and Paradise Lost had, where they would, over the course of their career, get increasingly less metal like i don't i don't know how else to describe it like they um famously on their third record brave murder day they had um they were in the midst of completely reconfiguring their band but still had these songs they wanted to record so they brought in michael ackerfeld from opeth to to do the vocals for the entire album and he was like i'm not joining your band i love you guys you're you know like like family to me but i'm not joining your band but i will do this and right after that one the guy who used to be their drummer became their bassist and started only doing clean vocals. And they, you know, hmm. had that transition of getting yeah, like, like most uh, of these things. Oh, first gothier, then proggier. 
<laughs> like uh, damage his voice, right? That's why he can do like kind of growling and uh, kind of more death metally kind of vocal styles. You just like, I think so. I don't I don't remember, remember the uh, being... the full story to be honest, but yeah, I think I remember that being a a thing with these guys. And, and like we get some weird writing about these guys because they've had basically since um the Great Cold Distance, which was a record of theirs that came out in two thousand six. They've had a sound. And it's not that it hasn't evolved. It's just that, like, similar to listening to, you know, Porcupine Tree or Stephen Wilson deliberately picking from that kind of world, um, you know, like, 80% of what's going to be on there. Maybe even 85%. And the rest is, like, these little dapplings that, that change. I mean, even Olver has slowed in how radically they reinvent themselves between records. And not to our detriment, they're they're doing fucking incredible work. So like it's oh we get more of it oh that's great. Um, mm. This one has even like a ton of like pop. Like I don't mean necessarily like Kim Petras, Charlie XCX. And no knock to that, that stuff's fire too. It more just like there are super clear melodies. There are hooks. There are strong song structures. Um, and then just against that like pop skeleton, they've put, you know, they they have decades in the world of heavy metal. So when they're doing metal stuff with that, they're not they're not like some weird pretenders. They know what the fuck they're doing. But they also throw in like trip hop and, you know, prog rock and gothic stuff. And it's so fucking lovely. I've been listening to this on repeat. I've been working uh, for the past bit on a piece about Kate Bush. And ironically, I can't listen to what i'm writing about ever like that it's something does something weird in my brain so i've been just listening to the new catatonia on repeat while writing about kate bush um uh, no fighters is not a single so we can yeah we can play that if i can find it um anywhere but um yeah we'll so we'll play fighters by catatonia um come back next week we got uh who we got uh Mike, michael seedlinger talk about his book which I've forgotten the name of, uh, but it's very good. Uh, we we're gonna have some more bands on. We we may we may have. I'm not gonna say who it is because I want to jinx this one. We may have gotten close to my like remaining bucket list band to interview. It may have happened. I I was pre drunk when I reached out to them. But <laughs> they they seemed receptive. To, to my drunken me. Nice. Uh, so, yeah. So, obviously, look out for for that. Uh, you, you'll know it when you see it. Uh, and, and some other guys. And some other bands. And, you know, we're just going to be... Just going to be rolling along. Just going to be keeping out... Pushing out content. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash death sentence if you want more of it. Um, I think we should probably record a episode on some more comics pretty soon. Oh yeah. I'm yeah. I'm always game for that shit. Yeah. I've been reading these I've been reading The Mezzanine by Nicholson Baker cuz I I feel like I it, yeah I have a I have a literary degree. I should fucking read this book. And it's been great, but I need dumb fucking comics soon. I mean, <laughs> just straight straight lobotomize me big color men just walloping each other. Yeah. Prometheus isn't that. Prometheus is substantially more subtle. It, oh, subtle not, is either. not the right word. It is the opposite oh, no. of subtle, but it's insane. No, it's, that's that's what I mean. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. 
So we're going to be doing Promethea by Alan Moore pretty soon. Uh, I've, I've started on that, and I, I keep remembering stuff like, yeah, it's just so good. Anyway, um, but yeah, and definitely, definitely check out um, Brendan's stuff on Twitter. He, he's a good tweet tweeter. He's a, a fine, fine poster. He, oh, thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what's your handle again? I, I remember it being a, a good one. Nice try, officer. That's a. It is a very good. It's a. It's a good at. I like that. And that's where you can find me everywhere. So Patreon.com, nice try, officer. Uh, Twitter.com, nice try, officer. Uh, Gumroad.com, nice try, officer. Yeah, and yeah, I like that. I like that at. So, yeah, check him out. Check out his book. Really fucking good. Just wow. Uh, I'm going to finish the rest of it tonight. Um, I'm pretty sure it's the quality is going to remain consistently high. And um, I can tell you that it does. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> okay, excellent. But anyway, guys, here is Catatonia. Chance to part with the unrest 